Sometimes half just doesn't cut it. Some religious beliefs are like that. You've heard the phrases, maybe even said them. They sound true, like God helps those who help themselves, or God never gives you more than you can handle, or everything happens for a reason. But when we look at them carefully, we see that they are only half true. Join us as we discover the whole truths behind the half truths. first book of the Bible, we find in Genesis chapters 2 and 3 the story of Adam and Eve. And there was the forbidden fruit that they partook of in those opening chapters of the Bible. What fruit was it? Chances are you're probably saying or whispering under your breath that it was an apple. And I want to let you know that actually the Bible doesn't say that. It just says that it was a fruit. Uh, how many wise men brought gifts to the baby Jesus in the Christmas story? Three? Actually, the Bible doesn't say that either. We're told that they brought three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but we're not told how many wise men brought those gifts. Many think that the Sermon on the Mount uh, was delivered on horseback. It wasn't. Some think that Noah uh, was married to Joan of Arc. Um, he wasn't. In fact, thousands of years um, separate them. There are these things or these statements, these principles that we think are in the Bible, but they aren't. And some of them are harmless, right? Joan of Arc and Noah having a wedding, that's harmless. Uh, only three wise men, no big deal. But sometimes these half-truths about God can be destructive. And throughout this sermon series, we'll be looking at three of these half-truths, and there are many more, but we're going to look at God never gives you more than you can handle, and everything happens for a reason. And this morning we'll look at God helps those who help themselves. Now, I am deeply indebted to Pastor Adam Hamilton uh, of Church of the Resurrection um, in Kansas City, Missouri, for some of the thoughts and organization of this sermon series. His book, Half Truths, is available on Abingdon Press. Uh, the Tonight Show, sent many years ago, included a famous section when Jay Leno would do something called jaywalking, right? In which he would question random people on the street about various topics. And on this occasion, he asked um, some people to name one of the Ten Commandments. Uh, it was startling to me how many people said, God helps those who help themselves. That, of course, is not one of the Ten Commandments. But those who gave that erroneous answer have plenty of company. Uh, Barner Research Group, a, a polling firm, found that more than 8 in 10 Americans thinks that God helps those who help themselves is actually in the Bible. In fact, more than half of the respondents were strongly convinced that this is one of the major messages of Scripture. For the record, the Bible contains no such verse. Uh, the statement apparently originated back in Greek mythology. It's found in Aesop's Fables. Uh, and the story was like this. There was a wagoneer. Uh, it was driving a heavy load on a very muddy way. He came to a part of the road where his wheels sank in half deep into the mud. Uh, the horses pulled, but the harder the horses pulled, the deeper the tires sank. So the wagoner uh, threw down his whip knelt down and prayed to Hercules the strong. Oh, Hercules, help me in this hour of my distress. 
But Hercules appeared to him and said, Man, don't sprawl there. Get up, put your shoulder to the wheel. The gods help those who help themselves. So actually, this is not a biblical idea. It originated in paganism. In 1736, Ben Franklin popularized this phrase in Poor Richard's Almanac, helping give the statement a permanent place in American thinking. Even though it's not the Bible, can we find any biblical or theological truth in this idea? God helps those who help themselves. In one sense, I think it does capture a biblical teaching, but in two other important senses, I would argue that God helps those who help themselves is absolutely untrue. Instead, it sends a message that is very often the direct opposite message of the scriptures. So it really doesn't rise to the quality of a half-truth. It's more like a third truth. And here is the third truth, one-third truth. Ora et labora. It's a Latin phrase that means pray and work. Pray and work. If I were unemployed and I sat around the house praying, God, give me a job. It might be a long wait before I become employed. Instead, it would be important for me to prepare a resume, actively look for job openings, submit applications, go to interviews, and try to convince employers that I am the right man for the job. Without this work on my part, it is very likely that I will remain unemployed. Another example, okay, the real estate market. Okay. Imagine this was five years ago and it was a normal real estate market. Okay. Right now it's crazy, but imagine it was five years ago and you were going to sell your house. And as you discussed with your spouse and your realtor, uh, what the house range should be, uh, but you became convinced that you should offer it for $10,000 more than what houses similar to yours are going for. So against your realtor's advice, you listed your house for $10,000 above market value. You're getting no viewings. No one's coming to see it. You call your pastor. You call me. We have coffee. Pastor, will you stand with us in prayer and pray for us that our house will sell? We really want to sell a house. Of course, I will stand with you in prayer. I will pray for you. Another month goes by. No one's calling. And now you're disappointed in God. He's not answering your prayers. You meet with me again. Now you complain that God is not answering your prayers. He's not being faithful. He's not providing for you. But given the agent's wise counsel, what you really had been praying for was that God would send you someone who was willing to pay $10,000 more than your house is worth. And that's probably not going to happen. Once you listen to the agent's advice and you drop the price by 10 grand, the house will sell within a few days. The moral of the story is this. God is not going to force someone to hire you when a more qualified person is for the job is available. And God is not going to send people your way to spend $10,000 more than asking price for a home. See, we can pray and pray, but we have to do some work in the process. God blesses us with wisdom, with brains, with strength. He provides advisors for us, in this case, a real estate agent. And all of these are God's gift to us, but it is up to us to use them. So we pray and we work. Ora et labora. And Paul had to address this same issue when he wrote to the Christians in a Greek town of Thessalonica. 
On his second missionary journey, Paul had started a church there, and he had taught people to trust in Jesus, and to trust that Jesus might show back up, might come back, that second coming might happen any, at any moment. And as a result, some of Paul's converts mistakenly believed that, that they could trust Jesus, and that meant them to quit their jobs and wait for his imminent return. They thought that they didn't have to work or be careful in what they spend their money on, that God would always provide for them. And so when word of this reached Paul, he wrote to this little church in Thessalonica these instructions found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. It says this, When we were with you, we were giving you this command. If anyone doesn't want to work, they shouldn't eat. We hear that some of you are living undisciplined life. They aren't working, but they are meddling in other people's business. By the Lord Jesus Christ, we command and encourage such people to work quietly and put their own food on the table. Ora et labora. Pray and work. Scripture reveals over and over again that God works through people. We are instruments God uses to change the world. So in a sense, there is truth to the idea that God helps those who help themselves. We don't sit around waiting for God to miraculously make all the wrongs in society right again. Our times of prayer are meant to empower us and to guide us into action, to do something about it. Okay, so we've seen that the saying, God helps those who help themselves, has some basis in the scriptures. Now, however, I'd like to point out and suggest two important senses in which this statement, God helps those who help themselves, is fundamentally unbiblical. First, this phrase is sometimes used as a way of avoiding obligation as Christians to help others or to do our part in loving our neighbor. The fact is, some people truly cannot help themselves. And for many others who find themselves trapped in poverty or struggling financially, self-help isn't so simple. It's not as simple as summoning the willpower and pulling themselves up by their bootstraps. No, sometimes people are in a hole so deep that they cannot climb out of it on their own. So we see a homeless man on Blackstone. Why don't they just take a shower? Why don't they shave their beard? Why don't they use the money that they're getting for begging and buy new clothes, apply for a job, and make some money so they won't have to beg and be homeless? Problem solved. If they would only listen to me while I wait at a stoplight with my windows up and my doors locked in my air-conditioned vehicle on my way to a lunch meeting that Prodigal Church is probably going to pay for. Why don't they just listen to me? It's easy. Number one, Public showers aren't readily available on Blackstone Avenue. Two, showers won't fix the physical ailments that this man has acquired of years of living on the streets. Three, he has no address or phone number to write on the job application. Four, he has no references. And five, he struggles with a disease called addiction that has taken so much of his life and enraptured him. Are any of your companies in line to hire a candidate like him? It's not as easy as just do it, just work harder. Certainly we all should do what we can to support ourselves and we should work towards it, right? Or at Labora, but sometimes people face challenges that they don't know how to overcome on their own or they simply don't have the resources to do it. And our calling is not to shrug off responsibility of helping our neighbors um, and by evoking the phrase, uh, God helps those who help themselves. Instead, God commands us to take special concern and care for the poor, the needy, the disenfranchised, the widow, the orphan in our world. That's the message that we read in even 
Way back in the book of Leviticus, when God gave the law, he says this in Leviticus 23, when you harvest your land's produce, you must not harvest all the way to the edge of your field. Don't gather every remaining bit of your harvest. Leave these items for the poor and the immigrant. I am the Lord your God. This is a serious command. God insisted that farmers are to intentionally leave part of their crop behind unharvested. Instead of consuming it for themselves or selling it, this portion was to be left for those who weren't able to make ends meet or for the strangers or the immigrants in the land. The command involved compassion and charity, but also dignity so that the poor could harvest this part of the land for themselves. It involved a recognition that God is the ultimate source of wealth and property. God is essentially saying, you're not being required to share your wealth because the fields were never yours to begin with. They ultimately belong to me. So my commandment to leave part of the field unharvested is my strategy for making sure that people who are struggling have enough. In scripture, God consistently calls us to help those who cannot help themselves or those who require help before they can actually begin helping themselves, the vulnerable, the weak. James writes this in the New Testament, true devotion, another translation says, true religion, the kind that is pure and faultless before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their difficulties. Widows and orphans were the most vulnerable in the ancient world society and had no power uh, to work for themselves. God says, take care of them. Paul says that we are saved by the kind of faith that moves our heart to actions. Galatians 5, 6, faith working itself through love. Proverbs 19, 17, those who are gracious to the poor lend to the Lord and the Lord will fully repay them. Elsewhere in Proverbs, you'll find all kinds of verses with this kind of wisdom. Those who close their ears to the cries of the poor will themselves call out but receive no answer. Happy are generous people because they give some of their food to the poor. The Bible even suggests that compassion and uh, helping others is a form of worship, of being obedient to God. That even in, in Jeremiah, it talks that, that knowing God is caring for the needy. Hosea 6 says, I desire faithful love, not sacrifice. And Jesus confronts the Pharisees and the religious people of his day using this exact verse. In a very real and immediate sense, the biblical truth, in contrast to the half-truth, is that God helps those who can't help themselves. Showing compassion and mercy for those who struggle is part of the very character of God. It, in my experience, God typically meets the needs of those who are struggling, those who are poor, those who are hurting, by acting through his people. I haven't directly observed God sending angels to bring food, clothing, or shelter to people from heaven. What I have experienced is the way God puts it on our hearts, in the hearts of others, to help, to meet some of those needs. We can and should debate the best ways of helping and not hurting, right? We should be working towards creating independence and not dependence. But what is not debatable is our calling to help. People who think they are Christian and yet have no compassion for those in need and do little to care for them, believing only that God helps those who help themselves, have missed an essential component of the gospel and perhaps the very gospel itself. Part of the reason that many of you give of your finances 
to Prodigal Church is because you believe God works through people and helps those who cannot do these things on their own. It is through such acts that the lives of the helpers and the helped are forever changed. It is in this way that Christians work to change circumstances globally, to work for the cause of justice. Here's a few photos of Aura at Labora, of how your finances, your giving, your practical work is actually making a difference. Uh, here's a picture of tree planting in Chihuahua Village. These are kids who go to a school that our church sponsors because of your faithful giving. Here's some pictures of a marriage conference done in Mulanji, Africa. 60 couples uh, are invested in and their marriages are renewed. Their love for God and love for one another is renewed. Uh, first time commitments to Jesus. Uh, it's a, an unbelievable thing that just took place this past spring because of you. One of our very own missionary couples, uh, Mike and Delubi Fred of Chihuahua Village in Malawi, put this on and made it happen. It was an unbelievable thing. Sharing the good news of Jesus, the gospel, helping people. Because you give money, kids can go to school in Africa. Because you give money, marriages on the other side of the planet are restored. So keep giving. We encourage it. It goes beyond this corner of Fresno Clovis. Now, there is a second sense in which the idea that God helps those who help themselves doesn't quite capture the truth of the Bible. Sometimes we can't help ourselves. Not because we're poor or destitute or without resources, but because we have descended too deeply into sin or into despair. God is the God of the hopeless cause. The God who loves sinners. The God who walks with sinners through the valley of the shadow of death. He is the God who brings light into our darkness and helps people find peace amid our times of anxiety, despair, depression, and suffering. God rescues, God redeems, God forgives. We receive blessings from God that we cannot earn and that we do not deserve. And even when we have made a mess of things and can't fix them, God extends mercy to us. There is a biblical word for this word, mercy. When God shows us mercy and provides for us, even though we don't deserve it and cannot earn it, and that word is grace. Psalm 18 says, In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice and my cry to reach his ears. He reached down from on high. He took me he drew me out of the mighty waters. He has done that for me, and he has done that for you. I think of a man in our church who spent many years of his life seeking uh, affirmation from others. Uh, he was driven to succeed, but that quality also led him away from his family. Um, it led him to drink. Uh, he became an alcoholic. He made uh, unwise business decisions in the middle of his alcoholism and he nearly lost everything. When it seemed that there was nowhere else to turn, he found himself at an AA meeting and meeting God or God meeting him. Though he didn't deserve it and he could not earn it, 
He felt God's mercy and God's forgiveness. He gave his life to Jesus. Asked for God's mercy and grace. And he experienced the second chance, a new beginning. And he is happily married and thriving with two beautiful daughters. Think of another woman uh, that I met through the church. And uh, she and her boyfriend had been involved in drug use, struggling in the area of addiction. Um, she was 18, he was 19. They found themselves pregnant. Uh, she gets clean. He begins to get clean because of this. And I was there in the hospital to meet their beautiful baby girl. Um, and the hardest part of this was that her father visited her in the hospital and witnessed the, the birth of his first granddaughter, and while leaving the hospital was in a car accident and passed away himself. I saw the look of despair, of utter desolation in the eyes of this young mother who now has an infant to take care of and a father to grieve. It was unbearable. She could not keep going. I saw in the middle of that, and in the days and weeks and months and years following that, how God helped someone who absolutely could not help herself. This is part of the gospel. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Our world is filled with biographies. And a biography is this. I had a great obstacle, a great suffering, a great opposition, but then I pulled myself up by my bootstraps, I learned my lesson, I persevered, I pressed forward, I overcame, I saved myself, I fixed my life, I healed my wounds, I slayed my dragons, and I'm a hero and you can do it too. You too can be the hero of your own existence. God helps those who help themselves. That's a biography. But your life story as a follower of Jesus is not a biography, it is a testimony. Prodigal Church, we do not have biographies. We have testimonies. A biography is about me, and a testimony is about God. A biography is about how I saved myself. A testimony was, there was no way I was going to save myself. But God showed up. God spoke. God healed. God delivered. God provided. God heard. God answered. God saved me. I'm not the hero. God is. That's a testimony, and a testimony is so much better than a biography. God helps those who absolutely cannot help themselves. This is the good news we find in the gospel. This is the truth of scripture. It's not an alleviation of our responsibility of helping others. No, it is an entering into God's work, God's kingdom work in this world to help others. God using us to alleviate the suffering of others, to help, to bless, to love, to show compassion, to show mercy, to experience grace. This is the call for us as Christ followers. God helps those who help themselves, sure. God helps those who can't help themselves. That's me, that's you, that's our testimony, that's our story. God, we thank you that you have a particular heart for the hurting, for the suffering, for the lowly, for the oppressed, for the poor, 
for the sick, for the addict, for the sinner, for the liar, for the misfit. You save us because we can't save ourselves. Help our lives to be defined by you, not by what we do, but what you have done in us and are doing through us. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to thank you so much for joining us online at Prodigal Church Fresno. Next week, we continue our sermon series, Half-Truths, and we look at the half-truth of uh, God never gives you more than you can handle. Let's, let's look at that next week together. We hope you have a great week. Peace in the Middle East.